If you're an aspiring entrepreneur, start a founder or investor, then you're in the right place. At Stella Nursery, we think differently and we don't follow everyone else. We believe in dreams, but we know how many failures take place on the way to achieving them. On the show, we chat to successful business owners, seasoned venture capitalists, and individuals moving the human race forward. Strong work by Jean-Denis Very good at praising and looking for the best in people. The hardest thing to do is You know, the one piece of advice is like, don't underestimate anyone you come across. Also, you know, being like a student of life. So being, you know, able to engage and ask questions um, because you're never too old to learn, basically. You are listening to The Stellar Nursery. My guest today is widely regarded as one of the most talented tight forwards South Africa has ever produced. Jean-Dre Kruger has played professional rugby for almost 15 years. In that time, he's represented franchises in South Africa, England, France. He's also donned the mighty green and gold on 17 occasions. While his rugby career soared to new heights, he was also busy with his entrepreneurial life, starting businesses like Built on Power with Brian Banner, Milk, and most recently, First Nad. In this wide-ranging conversation, we explore the journeys of rugby, business, and family. Jean-Dre, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Gideon. Nice to chat with you. Um, I was doing up. I was doing a little bit of uh, research about uh, where you grew up and and what you did in your in your younger years. And I see that you went to uh, Paul Ritz. Tell me a little bit about uh, your your high school career. So I was fortunate to grow up in Stellenbosch and. Uh, do my high school at uh, Paul Ruiz and then moved on to go study at University of Stellenbosch and I had a great childhood um, and hopefully I can give that to my kids in the future. And uh, Jean-Dre, what, uh, how many kids do you have? So I've got three kids. I've got a girl and a boy and a girl and they were all, bo- all born in, uh, in France, one in Paris and two in the south of France and when I was playing for Toulon. That's incredible. Can they speak the language? Yes, <laughs> I had to go do a little bit of French schooling and fortunately all got passports. And, um, wow. So, yes, we still speak a little bit of French in the house. That's amazing. And how's your French? And I, I've uh, I got involved in some business in France, so I still speak French on a, on a weekly basis. Um, still help a few friends. There's a few South Africans that actually play rugby in France, so... I help them from time to time and you know some days I get four or five calls from France so and we've also got someone uh, that can speak French that helps us in our house so as a family we um, we keep on speaking a little bit of French to just maintain it that's that's uh, it's very interesting that you I've, I've actually always wanted to know how uh, that transition is for for a, a typical you know South African rugby player that gets the opportunity to play in France from a cultural perspective, it's probably quite a quite a shock in the beginning. Yes, it's it's um it's a massive privilege to be able to play um play abroad, and I think you know, especially in my situation where I went quite early overseas, first to England, then back to South Africa, and then to France for seven years, and then to the UK, and then back to South Africa. I did a little bit inverse, where you mostly players play for a long period um, in South Africa, and then they go finish their careers off overseas. Where I did a little bit. A mixture of that so but rugby takes you around the globe and you get a you know i think it's it's you need to embrace that 
Um, because if you, you never know, obviously your contracts can differ from a year to three or four or five. So you, you need to really, when you, you take that opportunity on, you need to really embrace it. And that's what we did I, in the first six six months to a year, we really put a lot of effort into learning the language. And I was in a leadership role where I had to call line outs and things like that. So, and make decisions. So, and talking the language to gain the respect um, was very important. So I put a lot of effort into that and especially in the first two or three years. And then eventually ended up doing a little bit of translating within the team because you got a lot of different foreign players that play in France. And then through that, we also got involved in some, you know, interesting business projects in France. And, um, and yeah, so we've really thoroughly enjoyed uh, living abroad and now we're back in South Africa. There's not a lot of, at least in the media or from my perspective, there's not a lot of uh, South African rugby players um, who've got a successful career like yours that managed to juggle uh, business life, entrepreneurship, family life and being a professional rugby player, as well as you seem to do. Is it, I can imagine that would be quite tough, having to go to practice um, and, and you know spend time with your family, also have downtime to yourself, and look at business opportunities. So I was, um, you know, I, uh, my, my father and my, my mother put a lot of pressure on me to, to study quite early in my career. And um, I kept on studying. I did a BCom management accountancy at University of Stellenbosch. And then I did investment analysis and portfolio management through UNISA and then went and studying, studying French as a basic sec second language. And then I fin recently finished my, my master's and my MBA in business development with Toulouse wow. Business School. So wow. to, and I basically used that because I've had a 17 year um, professional rugby career to date. And throughout that, obviously you, you in a fortunate position where you can, um, you know, earn earn more more than you probably would have earned going through the ranks in business, and and those studies helped me to invest properly and make wise decisions. But if you go look at what happened this year, actually with COVID, I think a lot of sporting people, um, if it's um, people in the, um, in the music industry or if they're coaches, whatever, if you actually go look at what happened this year, how important it was actually for sporting people, or if you were a singer or um, what type of industry you were that was um, that was backed up by audience and ticket sales and sponsorship for content creation on televisions? You actually wanted to be in a position where you had some backups. So I think a lot of people have like revisited that because it's been a nightmare year. I think financially for a lot of people in the entertainment industry because that's basically what it comes down to. Um, so I've been fortunate in, in, uh, basically really putting focus on that, but also really appreciating sport and, you know, putting my maximum effort into playing sport, but also trying to prepare life after, after sport. And you probably never, you know, you never feel that you've done enough. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it must be, uh, I mean, you're, you're living a lot of people's dreams. I can imagine. Um, so, you know, to, to be mindful about life after after rugby uh, is something that you you know probably don't see a lot with a lot of the uh, you know I suppose younger players coming through uh, you know you, you you're one of the senior players at the moment I can imagine you you know you're interacting with guys that are, are are just starting out their careers in their 20s you know what do you see from the the, the younger guys coming through the ranks so I think this year, obviously, I think a lot of people has actually start start to think more about this because you'll see a lot less um, 
players in sport being contracted, or if you even see players that were in matric that had a, you know, that a lot of um, hope to get professional contracts and things, you know, it was a difficult year for a lot of people on that, and um, especially in the music industry and things. So I think those people um, have put a lot more emphasis on having a plan B in place. I think it's for a lot of people this year. Um, but um, looking at the young players, um, I'll always, you know, encourage people. And I think from a from a coaching or from a rugby union or sporting business side, I think a lot more encouragement should come from that side and and making it possible for for younger players or early in their careers, whatever sport they might do, to really encourage those players um, to you know, to educate themselves away from the sport because it would actually help them also to make wise decisions on their earnings. So um, I think that's a, I think regarding player welfare, I think a bigger emphasis can be placed on that because I think uh, a lot of players, and we've seen that actually struggle psychologically. Um, and that's a fact and a lot of people have come up and, and that's a pity actually. And I think a lot more can be done from player union side from from the business side from even you know if you look at the sponsors involved in 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 all these different industries i think a lot more needs to be done towards that because we've seen a lot of these industries has basically gone bankrupt or you know will go into further financial distress going forward so i think um some players yes have focused on it but i think a lot more emphasis should be placed on that um, because I've, I've been in that situation, actually playing overseas and, you know, in South Africa. And sometimes you actually feel that you're being judged um, because you, you, you enjoy speaking with, you know, business people or you want to get involved in projects to try and create your life after rugby but, or sport or whatever industry. But I think sometimes, you know, um, coaches or the industry might think that this guy is not concentrated on his, on his, um, on his main job. Is 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 distracted. So, but I think which is actually wrong because if you actually have a a, a player and his life after rugby and his his family and things are sorted out, which could be encouraged by the union of the position, the player will actually be in a better zone mentally and psychologically. And you know, for a lot of different players, certain things make you tick. You know, what what makes you perform um, to your best level? And people are different. Some people might prefer to play PlayStation. Some people might prefer to read books. Some people might prefer to get involved in business. So something for me that was always made me tick was I really enjoyed in my sporting career because it was a massive privilege to be able to speak to the president of Samsung or speak to the president of Oracle or um, yeah. of Toyota or all these different or um, SA breweries or they, we've, we've, we're, in a country, wow. we're in a country where businesses actually love sport and they want to be engaged and there's functions and there's events and those, those are opportunities actually for players to really engage and build the network and contacts and I've always embraced that and, um, and looking back um, I think it's helped me today where I am at the age of 35. I've, I've got a great network. I've made a lot of great friends outside of rugby. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can take that forward. Yeah, it's an interesting story. You definitely seem like you've got a lot of wisdom, uh, you know, coming through the ranks and looking at different opportunities outside of rugby. I'm sure you've, um, you know, put that onto. Uh, a, a lot of the younger guys. Uh, I know you're talking about um, perhaps your coaches looking at you. 
and seeing that you're not focused and wanting to get the best out of players. But I imagine that, that, that that's probably a, 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 a leadership error as a coach or as the, as the senior people around you where everyone is going to have something different that, that's going to fuel them um, to be the best version of themselves for whatever it might be in their career as a professional sportsman. And, and for you, I suppose if you had someone that recognized that you were aspiring to, to build a career after rugby, they would have encouraged that so that you could, you know, so that they would get the best out of you in that stage. As you say, you know, having that security around you just gives you, you know, keeps you more fulfilled, which, which in turn, you know, makes you, makes you happier at your, at your job to whoever that might be, you know, as a rugby player. And as you say, for other people that could be playing PlayStation or, 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 you know, doing, doing other things. So on that also, if you go actually look, let's use it because I'm in that industry. Let's go look at a rugby union, actually. I mean, it gets driven as a business. There's a marketing department, there's a finance department, yeah. there's management right. levels. You know, there might be a cafeteria. Um, so there's so many different areas which you could actually, if I was in a position of being a CEO or MD in a company or in the sporting industry, I would actually, you know, put that in place for, for players to try and learn in those different areas. Because there's so many different areas in that sport, actually yeah. more than just in a you know probably in a normal business. Because you also you can outlive your your talent, and then you can also engage with all those different clients and networks. So, you know, I would have engaged, and I think a club that's actually got that right was actually Saracens. If you look at how many players actually, and you know they were relegated, and you know how many players actually just wanted to stay there because they created a a great environment for players to create a life after rugby. And, you know, so I think for a, for a coach or even if it's in business, mm. if you're a manager, a CEO or a leader in a company, you need to, and, and, and each and everyone's different and unique. So you need to figure out what makes that person perform to his best level. And you can only get that, you know, basically connect before you correct. You know, if you don't connect with a person, then, you know, then you basically lose that person. You're not really getting the, the best out of that person. Yeah, those are, those are very good points. I, I, I believe in that as well. In fact, when I was younger, I used to have on my WhatsApp status, because it was something that I always wanted to remind myself, I had the, the, the three letters and uh, a number, H2H. And it just always reminded me that every time you have an opportunity to meet someone, whether it's in a social environment or, or, or it's, it's in business, um, always focus on trying to connect with that human. And H2H being human-to-human -human connection. And I think a lot of people stray away from that uh, and it helps in all aspects of your life you know i think life is about community and connecting with people uh, even if you're an introvert you always want to feel some sort of connection with someone and where it's most valuable is in business because at the end of the day um you're gonna you're gonna give business to people that you trust right yes no i totally agree and and also you know being like a student of life so being you know able to engage and ask questions um because you're never too old to learn basically um genre there's something i've got to ask you i mean i've actually you know growing up i um i had a couple of dreams uh in my younger years where you know i, I had a dream that i was a professional rugby player i was a springbok rugby player and it was such a good feeling so i have to ask firstly i want to know how your career from, from a rugby perspective started and what it was like, uh, you know, running on the field, playing professional franchise rugby and then, and then, you know, playing in the green and gold as well. 
I remember, I mean, I, I, I played a, a handful of first team rugby games uh, when I was in school. And even that feeling was incredible. There's so much chaos, you know, running onto the first team rugby field, you know, w- with your whole school watching and cheering you on. I used to think to myself, Flip, can you imagine what it's like playing for South Africa? I'd love to hear your experience from that perspective. I'm going to try and tell you a 17-year career quickly. Um, so <laughs> started off at Eversdale Primary School in Cape Town. My, my brother forced me into it, gave him my first rugby jersey and been playing rugby since the age of five or six, kicking a rugby ball every single day, raining, wind, whatever. I was basically never watching telly and things like that. I would always just, if I watched telly, I was watching the Springboks play. And otherwise, I would just run around on the field every day. Um, and then um, I was fortunate to go to Paul Ruiz, um, and it's a great school in Stellenbosch, and to be able to do sport in that school. And I've had a few different teachers and coaches in my in my career that played a massive role. And then through Paul Ruiz, I got con- contracted at Western Province Rugby Union, and then um, Marty's Donnie Craven bursary played a bit for Marty's, and then got scouted off to the Bulls by Annika Meyer and. Franz Ludica and Jan Swartz actually played a massive role who ended up being the manager of the Springboks. And then I got up, we lost the Curry Cup final against the Sharks in 2008, unfortunately. And then I got the opportunity to move on to Northampton Saints. And uh, I was a young player in my early 20s. I got into a bus and the first guy I sat next to on the bus that was offering me to eat some sweets was Carlos Spencer. And he was a massive wow. hero for me. So <laughs> wow. at that stage, I was like texting my girlfriend, like I'm sitting next to this guy. And then, you know, there's a, a lot of great rugby players in that team. And we ended up winning a few trophies, playing 54 games for Northampton Saints in the UK. And then I had the a big decision. Those days, you could still play three years in a, in a country and you could qualify. And then I had to make a big decision. Do I stay there or do I come back to South Africa? And I struggled to make this decision. And... Um, when I was in high school, my mom actually um, immigrated overseas and she actually gave me a Bible and she put something inside that Bible. And, you know, as technology grows and things, you start using your phone and, and if you want to do some Bible study and things like that. And I had to make a massive decision and I couldn't, you know, you're looking into money and contracts and, you know, you want to make a real good decision for a career. And I was struggling. I actually opened my Bible and inside my Bible, my mom actually put an emblem of a springbok and she put that inside that bible probably 10 years before when she immigrated when i was in high school and when i got when i opened that bible and i saw that emblem of that springbok you know i had the um i had the peace in my heart to make the decision um to come back to south africa and give myself opportunity to play for the springbok and at that stage i was playing all the games in england and for Saints, we were winning. We're a great team. I'm in a comfort zone. And then I had to take myself out of a comfort zone, make a decision to come back to South Africa. And we know there's a lot of politics involved in South Africa. And um, I made that decision. We came back. And uh, um, that was a difficult year, 20, 2010 till 2011, because um, Victor also, he basically was going to retire and he came out of retirement and things like that. So I didn't get really much game time and Northampton Saints were playing in Heineken Cup finals and I was sitting on the couch basically watching rugby and I was captaining the Vodacom side of the Bulls. And then um, I met a guy with the name John McGrath, one of the most inspiring and life-changing people I've ever met in my life. 
and he actually taught my taught me to understand my mind and um, to understand your your conscious mind and your subconscious mind so your your sub your your, your, your the mind cannot tell the difference between a real life experience and an imaginary experience so if you basically sit on the couch and you watch a movie you actually know it's fake let's say it's a scary movie you know it's fake but you still get a fright basically so the subconscious doesn't know the difference and what i made a decision on is i i did basically i did a few different techniques on goal planning i did a life circle which i'll tell you more about so my focus was there to start feeding my subconscious mind you know, with the right stuff. And I could basically, because you could only train so hard and at that, you know, middle ages, you know, you just want to train, you overtrain yourself. So I could, you know, on the rugby field in the week, I could do, let's say um, 20 or 30 kickoffs um, because you obviously there's fatigue and stuff involved, but I could lie on my bed and I could close my eyes and I could see how I represent my country, how I run out of the tunnel, how I catch a kickoff from Johnny Wilkinson or Dan Carter or, um, how I call these lineouts, how I see myself representing the Springboks and playing 50 or 100 games. So I did a lot of visualization. I was feeding my subconscious. What I did also something else, I drew a circle. It's, it's called a life circle. You can actually go Google it. And I split this up in a few different blocks. I focused on sport as well, you know, technically, tactically, um, support. Um, and basically I said, where am I on all these different um, scenarios. Let's say my support structures are at five. I was technically at six. I was technically at seven. Um, my fitness levels, and then I would do it in a circle within the circle. I would see actually I'm actually underperforming. I'm at around a five or a six. So what am I going to do about the support structure? Okay, I need to improve my relationship with my coach because he's not selecting me. Okay, and it's actually affecting me psychologically. I'm going to go address that problem. So addressing that problem actually takes that thing away. So it could go up to 100% or 80 or 90. Tactically or technically, you know, I need to go do more homework or spend an hour or two years. So I would improve all of those things without lifting my feet or doing anything and making a psychological decision. I would do 25-30% improvement. So I did it. I did a. Um, I did that. And then the other thing was I was feeding the subconscious mind. All of that I did in 2011, 2010, 2011. I set some goals out there. And in 2012, I basically played 100% of Super Rugby games. It was my first season. I got selected for the Springboks. I overachieved all of those goals I put in place. So that was a life-changing aspect to my career. And um, I'll be forever Jeez, grateful. John McCroth, you know, he's in, he does a lot of training and things in Valdivie in Cape Town. He's an Irishman. Um, so he's one of my best friends and he really changed my life. And I'll be forever grateful. Otherwise, I don't believe I would have represented my country. Well, wow, it's an incredible, incredible story. Um, you're, yeah, you're a very uh, aspiring guy, John, I must say. I, I really appreciate you opening up about, about your career. Uh, it wasn't long ago that I was, uh, you know, sitting on my couch watching you, uh, you know, play for play for the Springboks, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm I'm talking to you in, in a podcast. So it's funny how how life goes. Um, what's next? What's next for you? So I'm in a, I'm in, at the age of 35 now. I um, I've got involved in a few different um, shareholding in a few different businesses. Um, the one's called uh, First Nad. 
which is a revolutionary um, company and the people behind it. Um, I can tell you a little bit about that, and I'll come back to that. Uh, myself, Brian Abana, Duane Fignan, and we started a Bolton brand um, with a Frenchman in uh, in the south of France, which is still up and running, and we're actually developing the South African market, which is very exciting with a few different brands as Ultra Liquors and Pernod Rico with Red Heart, Run, Red Heart Rum. There's a few interesting campaigns that's going to come out now. I've helped my wife a little bit with a with a baby brand called Milk um, that does muslins online and uh, online flor- florist business. So I've supported a little bit in that. So the first net company, um, I don't know if you're aware of a product called or um, uh, I'll, I'll probably call it a medical term, NAD+. It's, it's called nicotinamide adenine dicunamide. So it's an essential uh, molecule for, for healthy cells. Um, it's a coenzyme that's found in living cells. It's, uh, it's central to cellular metabolism and, and uh, involvement in the re- redox and the reactions in the body. So it's one of four nucleotides in the body. It's, uh, um, so it's, it's, it's a, basically it's a communication molecule. It's very important for your health. So it's, uh, there's research that goes back to 1906 on it, and uh, they've developed a product um, called NAD plus phytoelixir. So it's taken up sublingual, sublingually under your tongue. You just spray it so it's convenient. And it's scientifically proven with over 1,200 biochemical pathway actions. So it's a revolutionary product. They've allocated over 150 diseases and cures around that already. So I'm an international ambassador and involved in the development of the product. And, um, you know, so that's a great, exciting thing where I'm involved. And I think it's a, it's a life-changing product. Um, so that's one thing and developing the Bolton brand. So... As I previously mentioned, I've finished my my MBA with business development in France. I'll be interested in getting involved in some business consulting um, going forward. Um, my father's um, an eye surgeon. Actually, did one of the first eye laser surgeries in in Africa in the 90s. Changed the life of many people. Obviously, uh, I've seen it before. You know, walking into his practice where you know these blind people that. That you know walk out there seeing. So he's amazing. I'm very proud of my father, and you know the things he's done in the medical industry. He's a leader in his in the the ophthalmology industry. So I'd probably like to get him closely involved, maybe in in the medical world and consulting or pharmaceutical um, business, etc. So it's something I'll investigate. And you know my mother's always been there supporting and stuff, even though she's lived abroad. You know she came to visit us a lot and supported us. You know while I was playing in Europe. So um, decisions going forward. Obviously, I'm 35. I can probably play another two or three years. I've really um, maintained my fitness and worked hard. So I'll make a few decisions. You know going forward, how long I'd still like to play and where and what I'd like to play. But as I mentioned, obviously I've got three beautiful children and a wife and my family and my family life's really important. So I want to you know. Make, that's a priority for me and investing time into that um, because you can always, you know, make money, but, you know, I can't, you know, I can't buy the time back, you know, um, by t- to go back into time, you know, and the, the time I should have invested in my children's lives. Yeah, it's very insightful of you. In terms of um, uh, living in, in, in South Africa or, or ending up abroad, since you've had a lot of experience outside of the country, uh, where's your heart in terms of that and where do you think you'll end up? So it's a difficult one because I've got children actually crying that they miss France and I've got the, 
a wife that misses France. So I think if you know anyone that visited the south of France would actually miss France. So if you live for three or four years in the south of France, then yeah, you know you'll probably really cry, you know, from missing it. So um, fortunately, we've got opportunities to probably go back into Europe. Um, and um, but for now, we've made a decision. We actually like to you know live in South Africa and uh, you know going forward probably in Stellenbosch. Um, because I enjoyed that upbringing and I think I can really, you know, give my wife and children a quality life in Salambosh and the schooling and things. And so that's important for me. But um, yeah, so and we've uh, also fortunate to have a French passport, you know, the nationality, it makes things a little bit easier with you know, international politics and things like that and be able to speak the language. So I think, you know, as a first world country, you know, if you look at the social systems, the medical care and all those things actually those things are in place, which is really attractive, you know, um, you know, as foreign countries, etc. as you know, we, I love my country and that's why I'm here at the moment in South Africa. But, you know, as we know, this country has got a lot of problems and a lot of work on and, you know, myself as a South African, you know, I have and always, you know, contributed where I can. We've done incredible campaigns. The Princess Charlene of Monaco, we did a campaign recently in lockdown where we changed people's lives and I've engaged with, NGOs like uh, Caring Daisies, and we've really contributed into, you know, into the economy, and I'm willing to do much more in this country. And, you know, I've, I've met a lot of business friends that's really making a lot of, you know, um, that's really putting a lot of time and effort into changing this country. And there's a lot of hope of uh, um, potential and positive changes in this country. So I've been fortunate to speak with a lot of different people and politicians and stuff that's really you know, up for the positive changes. And, you know, I think if people in this country can take hands and, you know, I think we can have the best country in the world, actually. So I think we, we are all um, hoping for things like that in this country. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I've always been very optimistic about the country. I've always, uh, uh, as I'm sure you have grown up, where you hear a lot of uh, negative conversations about South Africa when you had a bri, a lot of people immigrating. I've always been very optimistic, but as I get older, all, all that um, that optimism uh, hasn't turned to reality yet. So uh, I can imagine when you start having kids, you start asking yourself, as much as we believe in, in, in a lot of this all coming right, and it definitely will, and we are on the right track, there's no doubt about that. It's a unique country with a lot of beauty behind it. Uh, it's just a matter of when, <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, I'm sure it's around the corner. I totally agree with you. Uh, the country is on the right track, and if, uh, as we as South Af Af uh, if we as South Africans can, you know, you know, stand together, you know, I think it can only, be, you know, go better. Yeah, no, we'll get there, and we've also been handed a, an interesting batch of cards now with with the virus, so uh, that's going to slow things down a little bit. But it also has its has its perks, um, and you got to look at the of the good side of, of what's been happening because of lockdown and how people have been coming together. Um, so there's always, there's always good in, in, in the bad as well. Um, I'm interested, John, do you, do you, I mean, you, you've said you started a business with Brian Habana and, and Dwayne Vermeulen. I know Brian Habana has also uh, got uh, his fingers in some other pies as well. And he started the, uh, that, uh, that business pay me now. Um, how often do you interact with uh, with with some of the guys that you that you have played with over the years? So Brian and Dwayne both great blokes, and you know they've 
represented this country at the highest level and won World Cups and they're great individuals and it's a privilege and uh, to be together into business and they're great human beings and um, patriots of this country. So they're great friends and um, uh, myself and Brian, we did our passport application in France together. So that's really special. And, you know, our children went to school together there as well. And um, yeah, so, you know, and Dwayne being the captain of the Bulls now as well, I'm really proud in the the way he won the, you know, they won the World Cup and, you know, he's leading the Bulls team at the moment. He's a great individual and um, I think he's probably one of the best rugby players in the world and uh, it's a privilege to be a friend with him and uh, to play alongside him. So um, other rugby players, you know, so... I still have a lot of contact with friends, even uh, from Racing Metro and uh, sometimes from Saints. So, yes, there's a few individuals always that you can really keep good contact with. And, um, you know, often, for example, Antoine Klaassen and Bernard Leroux that actually represented the, the French team and they played racing, you know, they give, us a, give me a video call, you know, and I only give them a week and we make a few jokes and, and things like that. So, yes, we keep good contact and we try and encourage each other and, um, you know, some of my friends that's played with me is already into the business world, as you mentioned. You know, um, Brian's already, you know, with Pay Me Now, and they're making a great success of that. And and you know, some other friends are, you know, you know, at, probably at the end, and you know, they're posing questions and you know about you know what's next and how and what. So I think you know that's 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 something great where we can help each other and you know talk about the future and encourage each other to you know make sure you plan ahead and put your things in, in place. Yeah, it seems that you're really passionate about the business of, of about the business world and and how important it is for professional sportsmen. There's probably a big market and a big gap uh, in that space. Thinking about it, not just in the rugby space, but um, you know, in a lot of the other bigger sports too, soccer, cricket, rugby. Those are you know, those are obviously the other ones like tennis and golf, etc. You know, those sports um, because of their popularity and how commercial they are, they tend to pay the you know the professional sportsmen. Uh, you know, a, a salary that can you know get them by, uh, and also make you incredibly wealthy and successful. But there's a lot of other sports out there that I suppose um, don't pay as well because there isn't as much uh, interest in those sports. So I suppose there could be a, a business opportunity to develop some sort of program and in, in preparing people for outside of that. Yes, um, and focusing on the player welfare, because if you go look, there's probably five or ten rugby players that, you know, earn enough to not work again in their life. You know, the other 95% or, you know, even 99%, they 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 should have and must invest their money properly to maybe, you know, work less in the future. Because the reality is you're earning above, um, above market value. And currently, you know, we've seen a lot of pay cuts in the industry. If you go look at the... Australian industry and the rugby industry, a lot of them have taken hard knocks. And then there's some other sporting industries that might not earn as much. So, yes, definitely um, guiding sporting people or um, um, for their future um, to make the right decisions, definitely. I think there's definitely opportunities around that and um, helping them and educating them, um, which basically comes to, down to the psychological um, things as well and the player welfare. For sure, um, Jandre, Just a couple of last questions before we finish off. Uh, if you had to, if you had to uh, give uh, um, you know a young aspiring sportsman, entrepreneur, business person who's listening to this podcast, um, some advice, what would you say to them? So, a young sportsman, I'll really encourage him to um, go investigate and, and spend some time on 
your conscious and your subconscious mind um, because I think your um, not that I think I know that you know your conscious mind is just the tip of the iceberg. That's five percent. Ninety-five percent is your subconscious mind. Is what you feed your brain on a daily basis. I think that's the most important thing. It was a life-changing thing for me. Because um, you get those things right, then you'll get all the other things right. You know, the discipline and you know, and the energy and you know all those things. If you can just feed your subconscious mind properly, um, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. Because um, you know, you also the people you surround yourself with. Because they say you know you become the average of the five people you surround you you spend the most time with, basically. So I think you know surround yourself with people that. That, yeah. challenge you that keep you honest um so surround yourself with the right people make a make a conscious decision who you want to surround yourself and and put time and effort into that um so i think those two is probably my you know uh, the most important things that i think i can share with with young individuals and if it's in the sporting industry obviously you make sure you study or you educate yourself um, for life after rugby or sport because then you'll be able to perform better because you actually know you've got, you know, you give it your best shot, you train hard, you do everything you can. And if you don't make it, it's okay because you're giving your, yourself your best shot at it. If you don't make it, it's fine. You've got your plan B in place. So I think those three aspects um, is is the most important because two of those three aspects, you know, your your subconscious mind, getting that right and, your 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 life and your career plan. Get it. those things. If you get those things right, it'll make you tick, and you'll be able to perform at your highest level. Where, where can someone do a little bit more research? Uh, where's a good place to start? You've got me pretty interested in this. In fact, I think Google's a great place, but we can put up a consulting business, eh? There you go. That's another idea. <laughs> no, I think there's a lot of great sports psychologists and um, in the industry, but uh, you know. Today, we're fortunate eh, that there's YouTube and Google. There's so many great platforms today that we can learn off it. And um, I'll definitely be open in uh, you know, helping individuals going forward. I've learned a lot. I've been 20 years in the sporting industry. I've studied four or five degrees. So, you know, I'll always be open there to make a difference in someone's life or, or help where I can, you know. Yeah, I appreciate uh, um, the way that you do things. You've been very open in, in our engagement even before before the podcast. Um, and it's nice to chat to someone uh, whose door is always open and you're eager to to you know help other people grow. That's great, Gideon. I really appreciate your time. It's always nice to chat with you. And uh, if you want to speak again in the future, you're more than welcome. I'd definitely love to have you back on the show. Hopefully once, uh, you know, once I get going a little more, get interview some more interesting guys like yourself and it'll be interesting to chat to you um, about your life a couple of years after after rugby and, uh, and, and, what, and what more interesting things that you've managed to achieve. I have no doubt that, uh, it, you know, there's a whole new journey of your life that you're just about to begin on. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Andre. We'll chat soon. Thanks for your time. Perfect. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Uh, be very good at praising and looking for the best in people. The hardest thing to do is, you know, the one piece of advice is, like, don't underestimate anyone you come across.